Hello and welcome to the podcast, Mr. Michael Childs. How are you? I'm good, thank you. It's good to be here. Hello, everyone. Yeah, well, thank you very much for for joining us. Um, For those that don't know you or know of you, can you please give us a a quick introduction to who you are and and your background? Yes, so I've now been teaching for for 13 years. So it's my 13th academic year, probably the most challenging academic year that I've uh, encountered in those 13 years since qualifying. Um, And in terms of my background, so I've taught in the um, sort of West Midlands initially when I started training, so down south, just outside of Birmingham, and uh, moved up north to sort of uh, the northwest about four or five years ago now. And um, this is probably, I've been teaching now in, in six different schools, and uh, taken on a, a trust role now um, with the sort of um, Great Schools Trust uh, since September. So it's an exciting new role. Authored a few books, and obviously we're here we're here today to talk about one of those books in particular, and um, and a few additional roles, which is quite exciting, really. The role as a principal examiner, one of the leading exam boards, and then luckily enough, over the last couple of months, having uh, participated in my own sort of um, uh, campaign and uh, to um, get elected as uh, Mr. Trump failed um, in his, but I was uh, victorious in, in being elected uh, onto the uh, Chartered College of Teaching Council, which is uh, quite an exciting um, opportunity. Yeah. And I'm sure that will be uh, interesting to see how that evolves over the next sort of three to four years. Well, congratulations. But I think in all of that, you've um, you've not told us your subject that is true, actually. Yes, yeah, very true. Actually, yes. Yeah. So my main sort of subject is geography. So I trained to be a geography teacher and um, now leading geography. I could say at this um, small trust, it's got four schools and leading geography and supporting uh, sort of heads of the department in the other three schools and leading uh, the geography in in one of the schools in particular. Okay. Well, as you said, um, we're going to talk about the subject of your most recent book, which. Um, is about feedback. Um, so on the podcast today, we're going to talk about The Feedback Pendulum, which is a book that follows your previous book uh, called The Craft of Assessment. And I think it's great that you followed up the assessment book with a one on feedback, because we at EBE um, think about assessment and feedback really as two sides of the same coin. We need assessment to give us information that allows us to provide feedback. So I think that's a, a great sequel. Um, So, Michael, the first question I'd like to ask is why you decided to write a book about feedback? And I think what I I mean by that is what are the issues or the opportunities with feedback that compelled you to write the book? Yeah, and I think, as you rightly said, that um, it sort of followed uh, sort of um, simultaneously, really. It was like almost uh, decided for me when I thought about what, what would I write about next? And you're right, when when you, we think about how we, we assess pupils, we, we gather that information. Um, and although some assessment practices are still probably not where we want them to be, as we, as we know, and, and I know you guys are working hard to um, sort of contribute towards that um, sort of re-education about how we can rethink assessment. But you're right, I think feedback does follow naturally. And therefore, it led me to this idea of that sort of analogy of a pendulum. And I thought at the time last year when when I was considering um, this as a second book, that actually 
we want that sort of swinging pendulum to be moving towards the people who are getting the feedback and in particular when we're assessing um sort of our pupils it's it's the pupils that we want to receive the feedback and and we want to focus on the way in which that we we sort of provide that feedback to pupils in the classroom so it's sort of like for me it was like a sort of like a, a real sort of clear next step forward really to focus on feedback and I think that over the last sort of 13 years my my approach uh, to providing feedback to pupils has changed significantly and I, I remember and I talk about it in in craft and and expand on it in in the new book that actually we got sort of confused I feel uh, as a profession with what we classed as marking and providing feedback and I think they got sort of wrapped up together and almost it got lost as to, as to why what the process was and why we're doing it yeah and um, I think that was key really. So given that you talk about um, feedback with different stakeholders so pupils parents and teachers have you got have you collected a, a, a definition um, of the purpose of feedback in doing this book? It's an interesting question actually because when you look at the definitions they're quite um, very form formulaic in the research papers um, and quite sort of um, non-descriptive in its nature um, it's very very loose the definition but I think if I was to say what 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 do I what do we mean by feedback or for those different stakeholders for me it's it's comes in, in, under the umbrella of, of providing information in whatever form that may be to help the the stakeholder whoever's receiving that whether it be the the pupils the teachers or the parents to actually um, move forward and, and, and improve and I think that's quite key it's about Feedback is about enabling improvement. And I think that um, I talk about it quite a lot at the start, that actually we get feedback all the time, no matter yeah. what we do, whether we're in schools, not in schools, whether we're at home. Um, we're getting feedback in whatever we do, whether we cook the dinner and we get feedback on, <laughs> on how good the dinner was for, that, was put, that we put um, in front of, of the family or... We get feedback on our driving. There's the whole, this old cliche, isn't it, of uh, don't be a backseat driver. So um, yeah. I think when it comes to meals, the absence of feedback is probably the most common feedback I get. Like no <laughs> comment. <laughs> yeah, I think that it's about giving information that enables improvement, and I think that's what I would I would class as a sort of overarching. And I think sometimes the problem is that inevitably like in the case of providing meals or or being backseat drivers we as humans as it's human nature for us not to want to always receive feedback um, and we can be quite guarded and I think that that's something that we have to uh, be mindful of in particular in schools when we deal with the different stakeholders that inevitably there are people that are not going to want to hear the feedback whether that be the pupils that we're teaching, whether it be the parents that we're sharing information about their child with, whether it be another colleague that we're we're working with, we've got to be mindful that actually they don't always want to receive that feedback. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's so multifaceted, isn't it? There's mm. there's different types and levels of feedback that we can give, but to to do that and for the feedback to be meaningful and and effective, 
it has to be used and you know if we want feedback to be used we've got to have a culture where feedback is kind of not taken as, as criticism and um, we've got to have relationships that uh, allow for that message to be transmitted in the way that we mean it don't we yes absolutely and I, th- I talk about the sort of three sort of uh, elements of feedback that we, we you can give feedback and it's quite easy in some respects to give feedback doesn't necessarily mean that that feedback is is uh, quality feedback or is what you would say is is um, productive feedback. We can give feedback all the time. Um, we we will we will re- either receive it or we'll reject it, um, and and maybe we we want to move towards more receiving it. And then the 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 next step is that action bit. And I think all too often we get a lot of feedback. We give a lot of feedback. Uh, depending on what what stance we take, um, but how often do do we action it? And if we don't action it, is it actually, as John Hattie sort of said in his closing thoughts of the book, is it actually making any sound? Absolutely. So there's got to be opportunities, haven't there, for people to act on feedback. Um, I think all too often we think the job of feedback is done once it's been given, mm. and having the opportunity for people to kind of respond to that feedback and for the person who's given feedback to check whether that you know that that's been understood taken on board and and acted upon is also key to the process so in your book you explore as we've discussed not only feedback to pupils but also feedback loops with teachers and parents and i'd like to try if we can in a short podcast to explore each of those on t- in turn but we'll mm-hmm. perhaps focus predominantly on on pupils so if we take pupils first um, what do you think are the big opportunities when it comes to feedback? What's your advice in terms of how we might enhance the effectiveness of feedback we give to people and, and why would why we would should focus on that, I suppose? Yeah, so I think we've, we've, we've sort of touched on it as, uh, yeah. um, already as well, that actually it's about those relationships and it's about creating those um positive relationships and priming the, um, the pupils that you teach for the feedback that you're going to give them because you want them to receive it and I think that's key because once they feel that uh, that feedback is meaningful it's it's a supportive process you're doing it to help them improve mm-hmm. then you're going to get that part where they're actually going to want to take it on board and then you're more likely going to get the sort of um process where they're going to want to action it and I think that's really key and I think that if there was one aspect of feedback that I think every teacher should should work on or every teacher should invest time in is creating that culture of uh, sort of creating a receptive feedback loop because I think without that um, like I think too often like you say we can just give feedback because it may be is what we're told to do that all too often we see we see stories up and down the country where teachers are um giving you they're sort of looking at or they're using um a, a sort of policy in school that tells them that they need to mark x number of weeks they need to mark this they need to mark that but actually is that having any impact and is it just lots and lots and lots of information given mm. to and lots of information giving to senior leaders to say yes they're on track yes I've marked this yes my books are marked and they're up to date yeah. and yeah who's that feedback for who's that policy for 
is yeah. it is yeah. it to make some people in certain positions feel comfortable that something is something has happened and they can prove something has happened or is it feedback to improve the learner themselves absolutely and i think that's really important isn't it because we can spend teachers teachers time is so precious and even more yeah. so with the uh situation we're in but we don't want to be wasting teachers time and and how much teachers time is wasted by just giving unnecessary feedback and I think that's something that really needs to be addressed because like you say who is it for is it is it is it actually for the the person or in this case the stakeholder which is the pupil is it actually for them or is it to to pacify a senior leader or is it for a senior leader to justify their position or is it for um, a school to um track progress to to maybe say that they're on 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 track to achieving what what they're expected to and i think so with the when you talk about culture and priming i really like that that notion of of priming students for feedback it'd be good if we could explore that a bit sort of briefly but i'm reminded of something harry fletcher wood said you know i think just explaining why we're giving feedback you know that that in itself is is quite a helpful mechanism you know just reminding people because in isolation when we're given uh, comments on on our performance you know in isolation they might um i don't know feel like criticism and so i think he talks about harry fletcher would talks about saying to the student i suppose it's a bit of a, a, a primer in itself i am giving you this feedback because I know you can achieve X, Y, and Z, and I have um, confidence in your abilities to get to this point. And then the feedback's delivered. It, it's kind of, um, you know, it's the wrapper in which the feedback is, is given, isn't it? If mm. you just gave the feedback in isolation, it might just be, it might be received less well, perhaps. Mm, absolutely, yeah. And that's why I felt that whole phrase of priming sort of fit fitted quite well with what Harry Fletcher, um, like you say, Harry Fletcher would talked about in his his book that without that context, like if any in any situation, then pupils won't receive it well, and and they may um, and that the other thing is that there's a difference, isn't there, between when you give feedback to someone and they receive it, are they receiving the feedback? That you intended on giving and i think that's quite crucial as well i think that's mm -hmm. something to reflect on because often you might you might think actually i know what i want to say to provide feedback for that pupil that does it come out does it end up being received in that way and, it, and if pupils don't understand why they're receiving feedback for that particular task or that part of the learning sequence then it can get lost and get fragmented and and I suppose that's that's some of the key issues as to why we should really invest in that time to prime pupils because the more we do that the more they understand the reasons to why we're giving them that feedback yeah yeah so, I think that with a lot of these things it, it can feel like oh this here's another thing to do but if you're giving feedback anyway then you know let's make it as impactful as possible and, and mm. create some meaning around that feedback otherwise it's just a waste of time in the first place absolutely and i think the problem is as well that i talk about the fact that feedback is not just verbal when it's not it's not just written it's often we do a lot of non-verbal cue feedback and i'm sure that 
when when teacher in the classroom and and you give a particular feedback it can be like some facial expressions can even sort of um create opportunities to give feedback so we really want to filter out the feedback that we're giving so that, that it becomes really focused on helping them to improve and uh, i love the some i love the obviously some of the illustrations in the book to represent some of the thoughts that i had and that particular one about priming where you've got the teacher with the watering can and you've got the student there and they're, they're helping to grow that uh, that plant together well the book is full of lots of good and practical advice um, and sadly we can't cover it all in this sort of relatively short podcast so can we explore um, one feedback strategy and can you talk us through how that particular strategy can be implemented and why is there any one particular thing that you'll you'll talk us through yes yeah, so i thought that one of the I suppose most practical uh, aspects of the um the things that i talk about in the chapter for pupils is whole class feedback and i think that um right. is also important in, in sort of the remote context as well and how we can use that as a tool to support both um sort of teacher workload around providing feedback and, I, and i'm trying to avoid the word marking because when i when i when i think about the, the phrase marking i think about marking exams or or marking tests and and that's really an internal barometer, I suppose, for, for a teacher, albeit not necessarily most, as we know, very reliable. I'm actually talking about whole class feedback, which is around feedback relating to the, the process that, uh, that you wanted the pupils to undertake in that particular sort of uh, maybe application task that you're getting them to do in the subject. So I think that Whole class feedback has a number of guises and, and you, you, you see it um, on the internet and on Twitter, lots of people share strategies. But I think fundamentally, what, what, we, what, what is the purpose of whole class feedback? Well, it's to reduce the need to mark 30 books and mm. write the same comment on, on those 30 books, first of all. But I think, uh, and then I think back to, well, how is it actually being used? And, and I suggest, and, and it, as a as a graphic that um, David um, Goodwin uh, did for me to represent the thoughts. And it sort of goes through that flow chart and process about how we can do it. So we we, we may have uh, a set of books and we'll, we'll look over the books and we'll look at the pupils' responses. That teacher will look at those responses. They'll gather in just while they're looking at them some notes about, OK, so how, how have pupils performed and what was the intention of that task? and, mm-hmm. and what are the common misconceptions so make a note of those common misconceptions where are the areas that um people's really perform well on so make a note of that because we know that we want to pick out some of those areas for strength because actually this is not necessarily about just praising those pupils because we know that sometimes praise can be lost with pupils and and although we want to praise the success we have to uh, sort of um drip feed that that praise where, when, where it's appropriate to do so. But we want to keep those strengths because actually can we then, when we go back to pupils the following lesson, can we then say actually can we use these to illustrate sort of how specific pupils have been successful against that success criteria for that task? So can we use that for modelling? Or mm. where we've got common misconceptions, Does the, can the teacher see that actually we could use maybe this idea of an 80-20 rule. So we say that 
of a class, we want eight, at least 80% to, to be successful. And if 80% is successful, then we're on the right lines for, for maybe moving on. But if we're not at that point, then do we need to readdress where those misconceptions were in that um, task? So part of that whole class feedback process is then say, right, I'm going to reteach this at the start of next session because it's really important they didn't get this particular aspect of the task or there was that misconception around a concept or process that I wanted them to understand. And I think I also talk about in that the last bit of that sort of flow chart about how to do whole class feedback as a teacher is that you're improving the, the or improving the learner, not the work, sorry. Yeah, yeah, so it's about improving the learner, not that work specifically, because I think as good as whole class feedback is and as good as some of the strategies I see, I think all too often, is it just that it's another sort of uh, trend and that actually are, are we actually using it to feed forward or are we using it just to address that piece of work and not? And then are we seeing actually, and it could be a good reflection for teachers uh, that are listening to this, maybe go back and look at some whole class feedback sheets. Are our teachers writing exactly the same sort of comments or suggestions for improvement on that whole class sheet from one task to another? And actually, therefore, is it having that impact or is it just improving that work and not actually supporting the learner uh, to make improvements um, moving forward? And when you talk about um, improving the learner improving the student improving the pupil i'm reminded of uh, hattie and timpley effective feedback uh which tells the pupils where am i going how am i going and mm. where to next but they talk about these levels of feedback as well don't they so mm. um different levels of feedback in terms of feedback on the task which sometimes is, is the thing that we want to focus on but um feedback also on on the approach to the task so the, the mm. sort of self-regulation metacognition and and how students can approach the task um so there is obviously a need sometimes to focus on feedback on the on the task itself where we need to identify what is what is correct perhaps or, or what is incorrect and why but also how they can check that in the future themselves and that's is that what you mean by in terms of improving the students so that next time they approach this they can think well how do I check what what I've how I've answered here yeah definitely and I think that it comes down to like in a lot of subjects we we have those um I suppose it's again it's the difference between uh, knowledge and skills because and I know that David Diddell talked a lot about that in the past where when it comes down to knowledge you're right we, we need to let them know if it's right or wrong and that's where we address those misconceptions Mm. Uh, but then in terms of the skills, what was the uh, process that was intended for that particular task? So, for yes. example, was it that we were asking them to assess something or we were asking them to evaluate? Was we asking them to uh, explain their ideas, to discuss their ideas? And actually, are we are we addressing those elements within our feedback so that, OK, if we've got issues with misconceptions, if we've got issues with things being wrong, we know we need to get that right so we address that the following lesson by reteaching it we may do some retrieval practice we invest some time to reteach that if we need to but are we then looking at those transferable skills from one sort of a task to another 
So are they making the same mistakes whereby they're not explaining their ideas from mm. one task to another? Are they not evaluating their ideas? So actually the process to actually get to um, sort of outcome of that task, is that being addressed or are they making those same errors throughout the work? So is it actually helping them to feed forward? And I think that that's, that's where I sort of feel about distinguishing between those elements of, of, of the feedback like Hattie and Timberley talk about. And so if we kind of draw draw to a, a close on on um, feedback and, and pupils, I guess, you know, as you've said, teachers' time is, is really, really precious. How would you convince people to put more, to pay more attention to kind of how they might enhance their, their feedback practices? I think it's it's going back to, again, what is, uh, and I said this before uh, a few weeks ago to someone, why are you giving that feedback? So take a step back from what you're doing. Why are you giving it? What, what, to what purpose is it having? Um, what's your intention of that feedback? Is that same intention sort of received in the same way by the pupils? But more importantly, how you how you get them to action it? And I think that's really important. So I think if I was to say one of one of the key areas the teachers would be those building those relationships that create that receptive culture, mm. and then considering what what approach you're taking for that particular type of feedback. And is it having the desired impact that you want it to have? And and Hattie said in, in the book launch a few weeks ago, he said, you can give feedback so much every day and you can do it all the time. But if you don't have that relationship with that pupil, if you don't have that relationship with that teacher of a colleague, if you don't have the relationship with pe- the parent, it, ju- it just won't make the sound that you want it to make. And And I think that like we're saying that teacher's time is so valuable that actually we want to take a step back and reflect and say is that time being invested in the right way yeah yeah and we know well it's fairly well known now that that feedback can have such a huge impact on on learning both positively and negatively and i think the case for it is as you've said it's happening all the time it's it's such a huge component of learning how are we doing it and are we doing it as as best as we possibly can because there are great gains to be made i think in getting feedback right isn't there just in terms of the impact on learning and and seeing our pupils sort of flourish in the classroom okay uh, we'll move on to to teacher feedback now and um I noticed and was pleased to see in your book that you use a quote from my colleague um, at EBE, Rob Coe. That quote is, if we want teachers to get better at something as complex as teaching, we need to provide the same conditions that we provide for our students to support their learning. I guess that is, to some extent, in terms of how how I read it, that the big idea of the chapter of this book. So how would you, Michael, in your own words, sort of summarise the, the issues here and opportunities for meaningful teacher feedback. What kind of change are you advocating? Yeah, I think sort of Professor Coe's sort of um, comment sort of really stuck out to me when when I read um, his article that if we're saying that right at the start that fee- no matter how feedback is um, given, how it's received, how it's actioned, 
and we're saying that we give feedback no matter what we're doing in our life every day that actually shouldn't we shouldn't be applying a different approach to how we give feedback to teachers because otherwise we're going to end up with a situation where again we're just giving feedback to teachers okay we've given them some feedback I've, I've gone in and watched that lesson I've observed that colleague I've given them some feedback okay they may have received it or they may have not received it probably more often than not to be honest and have they actioned it no because all too often probably what's happened is they've done a performance management observation once a year they've ticked the box and it's not actually helped that teacher and Again, so we come back to what we already said with pupils. Why are we giving teachers the feedback in the first place? And um, if we're not giving it to help teachers to improve, then why are we doing it? And I think all too often, and I think that I've I've been subjected to it myself. It's it's more about a case of teachers get feedback from others so that that particular observer can prove that that teacher is doing an effective job in inverted commas yeah I think that that's the trouble at the minute i i did know actually in that chapter the this um improve not prove type strategy which i think mm-hmm. you're sort of alluding to there we it's not that we want we need or we should ask teachers to to prove something i don't know, the support of teachers is is about improving how they teach and and people's learning um not proving something to somebody else and i really liked that um I can't remember whether that was your saying or, or somebody else's. Uh, but it was a good... Yeah, that was actually Chris Moyes who sort of That's coined it. that phrase. Yeah, but yeah, I agree. It's a, it's a great phrase. And having been part of um, a, a sort of uh, instructional coaching program over the last couple of years and having been part of a completely different approach to feedback to teachers, having been in the in the sort of school environment for 13 years over the last couple of years being involved in that which actually helped to sort of prime out some of these uh, ideas that i had for this chapter it's probably the best form of feedback i've received from colleagues in my whole career um so it, it had a massive impact and i think because I, I remember years ago that it used to be a case of okay so We'll do a performance management observation. We'll give the teacher free targets and that's it. We'll leave them to go and do it. And actually, we know that that's not a successful approach. And we know that all that's going to do is mean that we've given it, tick. We've they yeah. received it or not, maybe not, as I've said. And then have they actioned it? Probably not. Because, again, we can say to a teacher, oh, OK, so I think I feel from what I've seen that you probably need to do some improvements around questioning but actually what does that mean and, and I talk about the idea of making it more granular for teachers as, as much as pupils. Yeah all the principles that we've talked about when we talk about feedback for pupils apply here don't they you know the, there's a huge irony T- teachers know what kind of strategies will hopefully lead to in, in improvements in students in terms of their own learning but when it comes to teacher CPD those principles are hardly applied at all I would mm-hmm. say you know mm-hmm. the opportunity to practice to revisit stuff to kind of check in um, to provide meaning to that feedback it's just a terrible shame I mean teacher feedback is essentially the driver for our great teaching toolkit project which you talked about earlier so we're certainly working to try and encourage and support that, that kind of culture that you describe 
Mm, absolutely. And I think it's really important because like you say, I mean, the sort of stakeholders, teachers who are giving feedback to pupils are not actually receiving effective feedback themselves. So is it no wonder that at times that the te- our teachers can get lost in actually how to give feedback to pupils? Is if I suppose it's also that um, learnt behaviour as well. I think we, 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 and I read a number of studies while I was um, sort of writing the book, but we, we have some learnt behaviours and we learn those from from our uh, historical um, sort of childhood and the environments that, that we're brought up in and, and the influences that we that are sort of um, sort of put on us. And actually, if, if we if we as teachers, if, if I'm getting free targets um, to improve, then why wouldn't I give it to pupils? Because that's all I know. That's that's what I'm that's yeah. what I'm being given. So why wouldn't I give it to my pupils? Yeah. So, which is a terrible shame. So, I mean, if we can stop and pause, the, the, the message there, I think, is is the kind of feedback I get as a teacher, the kind of feedback I would hope to give to my students to improve them. You know, and it's a shame that, that we, we can't do that. Obviously, it's a, it's a busy profession. But you talk about influences there and learnt behaviour. That is a perfect segue into the chapter about parents, I think. Mm. Um, because turning to parents, obviously, they are a major factor when it comes to learning. Um, the things parents do before a child starts school and during their time at school are really significant. So engaging parents in children's learning and being helpfully active in that process would be great. But again, it always comes down to, to achieving this. How do we achieve this? And it takes time, doesn't it? It comes down to the teacher and their time. Mm-hmm. So I want to ask you, how do you think we get a return on investment here? I think that, um, and a lot of studies that I read over the last couple of months while I was writing the book, primary schools do this a lot better than secondary schools. And I think that's because evidently at primary school, there's 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 usually commonly one teacher per year group and that, that teacher gives feedback to, to those groups of families for that one class over the year. Um, and maybe there's, there's the argument that there's potentially more time for contact and, and so forth. Um, at primary schools with parents but I think that what's key is moving away from just giving parents information and actually involving them in their child's education whether that be at primary or secondary and I think more so when when pupils get up to secondary school there's also that sort of research article that um, I talk about in the book where I think the problem we get is that when when parents are at a stage where their child is getting going into high school, their relatability around the work that their child is doing becomes even more difficult for them to engage with themselves. Mm. And therefore then that leads that to that disconnect between parents, pupils and teachers and the school. So actually we need to invest the time in bringing our parents back into secondary schools in particular so it's not an information given exercise it's not okay this is where your child's at they're on this they've got this sort of grade for their assessment they're they're expected to get this target or and so forth and this is what's happening more about bringing them on board so that it's um, a collaborative approach and uh, talk about the idea of having regular feedback with, with parents um, not just one singular consultation even and actually I think I talk about the scenario that consultation evenings can become 
a very formulaic event that actually is just about ticking a box to say we've had contact with parents this year mm. and also talk, I've, I, I feel very passionate as well about this idea that a lot of the time we can't assume that parents know what to do and I think that if we do that then then we can fall into the trap of losing that relationship so actually equipping parents with it may be guides it may be workshops where they yeah. come into school um, to empower them to support their child because ultimately I'm a father myself we know that on the whole 99.9% of the time parents want their child to do well and actually it's not the case that they don't want to support them I think it's more the case they don't know how to support them. No agreed I think the the key to so many things um, is sort of communication and meaning you know there's there's a lot to be gained I think in even just explaining to parents this is what we do this is how we go about things and improving that relationship because remote learning has just given parents a much wider window into learning in terms of Mm. you know there are parents over the shoulder some there are some parents who are literally over the shoulder of of their child as they're being taught or they're receiving something they're instantly sort of more involved in the process and and then starting to ask questions themselves oh I wonder why they're doing that and you know they'll come to their own conclusions and quite often I think if we take one example I don't know if my daughter says oh we've we're getting asked questions about this we've done this already you know as a parent you might go well that seems like a waste of time but you know just because I work in education it happens that I might think oh well I wonder if they're sort of bringing in some sort of retrieval strategy or approach here. You know, they're they're, they're going back over um, content they've taught months ago because they really want to kind of make sure that students are, are particularly solid in terms of their understanding of this particular concept or whatever it might be. So I could have that interpretation, but many parents could be thinking, well, what on earth are they doing? And that mm-hmm. doesn't help the relationship, does it? So I think there's there's huge gains to be made, I think, with the parent relationship. Absolutely. Yeah, I totally agree. OK, well, Michael, I think um, we'll draw it to a close there. Just remind us again what the book's called and where people can find it. Yes. So it's called um, Feedback Pendulum and um, you, you can get it now straight away via uh, Amazon, you can source it through Amazon, or you can source it directly through through John Cat, who are the the, the publishers of, of of the book. And you mentioned John Hattie, is it as well? Is um, absolutely I think he's, yes. He's written, um, he's sort of given his endorsement, I guess, to the book. He was part of your launch, and he's he's written. Is it a foreword or something at the end of the book? Yeah, so he yeah, so he um, he wrote the um, the the closing thoughts, um, the last chapter, um, sort of reflecting on on what I'd talked about previously. But yes, so he it was fantastic to have him involved, given his um, sort of um, previous work over several decades on feedback, and um, it was particularly uh, pleasing that he said that when he read it, he said that basically. He felt that I'd got it. I'd got why feedback needed to be um, changed. And, and he, he said that the, the pendulum idea was sort of crucial in that, that sort of uh, analogy of swinging it towards the person that's receiving it more rather than how it's, how it's um, being given. Well, what an endorsement. So if you want to get it as well, then get the book, I guess. 
Thank you very much, Michael.